Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. I hope this season is now playing out for you. We've had general rain and um, I hope that things are unfolding favourably wherever you are listening to this around Australia. In this podcast, I interview John Boot from Drover Ag and we get to touch on and go deep on a conversation and I think a reality in our industry. Um, it's certainly something I'm passionate about, John, and I think there's a bit of a problem around this theme of finding and keeping good talent on farm. Um, John is unique, I think, in how he arrives into this space as an HR specialist and recruiter out of southern Queensland um, because he arrives into HR from a farm and cattle station management role and deeply understands these issues at play on just how hard it can be to find and retain good talent on farm in our industry. Um, We've come to know John recently and his... um, recruiting an HR firm, Drover Ag, recently through our Platinum Mastermind members. And I know those that have engaged John's services have received a really good and positive outcome time and again. So, John, equally, I know this is a conversation and a topic that you're deeply passionate about. Thanks for joining us today. No, no worries, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So, John, you do arrive into HR and recruiting from a a cattle station and farm management background. Um, Would you mind speaking to that, just your 20-plus years of experience and your background prior to getting into this space? Yeah, no worries. Um, So I suppose, Jeremy, I I went through the School of Hard Knocks. I left school at 14 and and started a career in agriculture um, and worked my way up to management at at a young, young age and more... More so in in, in um, intensive beef production down down the southern states um, with Maggie for, for quite some year years uh, in artificial breeding and things like that, and then progressed up into um, property development, property management, and then uh, my last stint was uh, GM for for a large family owned operation up in Northern Territory. Um, so being involved in a all my life in a hands-on capacity. Uh, my wife also is an ag consultant um, and we live, have, have lived, sleep and breathe agriculture most of our lives and needing to relocate from the territory to put kids in the schooling, um, in better schooling. Um, found us relocating to southeast Queensland from the Northern Territory and uh, I wanted to know what I was going to do next. Um, allowing my wife to continue her career in ag. Um, so I developed Drover Ag Recruitment because it was it was a major issue wherever we were in trying to find the right staff, um, you know, constantly beating heads against brick walls, not being able to complete CapEx programs and stuff, uh, not because of lack of funds but because of lack of staff on the ground or the correct staff. So I've been through it. All the all the way through my career, and and it, and again, it, it's it's something that I thought I was good at, but unfortunately, I didn't have the time to do it correctly. Um, and researched the ag recruitment market, 
when we moved down here a few years ago, and I'd never dealt with ag recruiters. I, I believed them to be overpriced and not effective in what they did, dealing with, you know, HR specialists that had never wouldn't know the back end of a cow if it jumped up in their porridge. But um, um, and and also, like I said, the, the pricing point to get into that was, I believed, uneconomical. Um, for most producers out there, hence the reason I researched the market and, and we've hit it um, quite broadly in, in the last 18 months. Um, and I think we're... we're we're doing quite well um, in what we do. We we call a spade a spade. We don't tolerate idiots, um, and we're quite quick in what we do. Um, and all my staff, all you know, anyone that wants to work with us, they they I don't want a HR background. They've got to have minimum ten years experience, hands on, um, and so we can engage with these clients um, a lot easier, uh, a lot easier for us to to talk to them and and, and get the job done. Yeah. Thanks, John. Just out of interest, how has that transition from Northern Territory Cattle Station to um, business startup and, you know, now you're in a really significant and emerging project, how's that mm-hmm. transition been for you and Megan and your children? Tiring. It's, um, it's something that I wanted to develop. You know, we live here on the northern Sunshine Coast and my dream was, you know, if I develop something like this, it'll keep me busy for one or two days a week so I can um, do a bit on my own little block here and then, you know, go fishing. We're not far from Fraser Island and Rainbow Beach and things like that. Um, Hasn't happened. Um, I think I've gone fishing once um, and that was even with a phone to me here. So, no, it's been been really exciting. It's... um, I don't know where the last two years have gone. It, it's um, I, from what I thought it could have been to where it is now, and where it's can, where where the where we look like we're heading, um, is quite frightening. Um, so um, no, it's been tiring, but exciting. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think you've landed. You've identified a problem, and you've landed in a niche in our industry where there was a real need. I think to your point, we've probably all considered recruitment agencies but looked at the fee and thought, oh, well, we'll just have a crack ourselves and and maybe as farmers we're just not good at recruiting. Um, But the option did seem a bit out of a lot of our price brackets. So I think you've landed in a space in our industry where there was a real need and I think it's fantastic that you identify that um, that issue around having a recruitment expert help us at a genuinely affordable level. John, I also appreciate that something you're really passionate about is seeing young people stay in our industry and arrive into our industry and land on good farms with good management. Um, can you just speak to that passion that you have and perhaps where it comes from and and even the impact that you hope Drover Ag might have on that next generation. Yeah, definitely. Well, I suppose it all comes from my 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 starting point in, in agriculture um, was that it was never there was never that mentor, there was never that those people out there that were you know passionate about starting young blokes in agriculture or young people in agriculture. It was just something that I thought I wanted to do, and and um, so. Um, I also see a major issue in the fact that agriculture is not promoted through the education, you know, 
your secondary education um, as a as a career of a, a career path of choice. Um, and we get so many inquiries from you know passionate young people in regional centres or even cities that are that are just not getting looked at by other agencies um, because they don't have the skill set. They've certainly got the fire in the belly and the willingness to learn, but they just don't can't get that 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 leg up into the industry. So I think as you know the market dictates now, it's very bloody hard to find staff. And every all employers want skilled staff and um, they all want skilled staff, but not, not many are willing to train. So how does that work? Um, it doesn't. So I am highly passionate about it. It's um I think a lot of these uh, young people try through different avenues and get nothing and then go back into, you know, becoming a tradie or, or something like that because they didn't have that person at the end of the phone, the number one, wanted to give them a little bit of time in the day and point them in the right direction. So it is a big passion of mine um, and I think we need a lot more of that because um, these skilled people don't aren't created overnight. Um, it takes a good network and, and good employers to, 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 to do that, yeah. Thanks, John. So what's happening in today's marketplace in your assessment? We've had COVID now our reality for 18 months and that's had a huge impact on um, overseas, um, access to overseas employment um, and that's impacted a lot of perhaps even the more intensive farming systems out there as well as broadacre and extensive. What's your assessment of how things have changed over the last 18 months for farming families? Um, well, we're in trouble. Um, everyone knows that. There's, the workforce isn't there. Um, and that, that is a reflection of, as you said, with COVID, um, it's a, the mass exodus of, of backpackers from the country because of COVID. Um, it's the northern New South Wales, southern Queensland, you know, farmers that, that have finally got a crop after four or five years of awful bloody conditions. It's the price of livestock. It, it's There's so many, we're in a very dangerous time, I believe, um, where they're not out there. Um, and the reluctance from these candidates we're finding now was the first reluctance from their side was they don't want to cross the border, mainly in the, in the southern states, to even go for an interview, whereas we're getting a reluctance now to even consider applying for a position in a different state um, because they're just scared that we've got family in Victoria and we're wanting to look at a position in New South Wales, that that border might be permanently shut. I mean, it's just their... It's, it's how they're perceiving it, which is unfortunate. And we've spent a good six months of the of, of the of the outbreak last year, sort of you know settling people down, saying you know the military is not going to be at the bloody borders shooting people. We can get you across with permits. Um, so we did that, uh, but now there is a bigger reluctance of even looking at going in in state. So we're we're having to unfortunately look at internally in the state that we're recruiting for to fill the roles more so. Um, um, so it's that's the biggest um, issue because of COVID, um, and also, like I said, that um, there's usually hundreds of thousands of, of working holiday visas in Australia that, that fill these gaps somewhere. They're not the skilled people that we want, but they fill a gap somewhere, um, and, and they're not there. Um, so 
and not that we deal with many backpackers, of course, but those farmers that have been relying on backpackers or the itinerant workers is they're taking other people out of the other markets that, that would normally wouldn't have to go. So it just comes down to supply and demand. Um, there's not enough out there, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and COVID's not bloody helping at all. I hear stories of um, aeroplane pilots sitting on headers and engineers sort of volunteering for blaze aid and, you know, I do hear stories of people who are not able to work in their normal day job actually making themselves available to support friends and, um, and other businesses in agriculture. How are, how are you seeing businesses innovate? Um, what are the good news stories out there about how people are being creative so that they can get people to help them at this time? There's not many stories. Um, I suppose I think there's there has been a slight acceptance of the fact that we're not going to get those skilled workers all the time. Um, and we we you know we put a lot of good pilots into positions into into chaser bins and headers last year, um, and they went they did a fantastic job. Um, I still see a, a massive demand from. You know, the inquiries coming through on a daily basis here and then they even started regarding this upcoming harvest, they even started from our Western Australian clients four, five, six weeks ago, um, is that uh, we're trying to get in early, we want bloody skills. We've got to have skills. You know, they're driving three quarters of a million dollars worth of gear, we've got to have skills. Well, everyone wants them. Um, it, it's, it's your point of difference. What are you offering them? Um, to get them motivated to go to WA and sit in your header. Um, you know, oh, the standard hourly rate isn't that. Um, so we're not seeing much, um, I suppose, change from the employer front to adapt in, for these challenging times. They're just wanting to come to us and, and want us to find that that bloody unicorn header driver um, and pay them the same rate that they've been paying them for the last five or ten years. Um, and mm. unfortunately, I have to push a lot of them away because we we um, we don't have a magic wand, unfortunately. Um, so I would like to see, you know, I, and I strongly believe with this upcoming harvest, where I'm not looking forward to that one bit. That was hard enough last year's harvest, um, but there's going to be a lot of kids potentially out of school to help mum and dad, um, and 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 parents and elderly people and things like that that are going to have to come in and, and step in um, because the skilled people aren't out there, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's the innovation. I think that we will see, rightly or wrongly, um, people being very lateral in how they get bums on seats at key times to get tasks done. I mean, we've seen a massive shortage of shearers because of COVID and you know, people not being able to get out here from New Zealand to to be part of our shearing workforce. And so there's a whole lot of innovation happening that I'm seeing sort of outside of the industry as well as in. But I think you touch on a really critical issue. And perhaps if we forget about the current market and COVID for a minute and go back 30 years, in my experience, 30 or 40 years ago, when I was a kid, you could pay someone the base wage and expect them to work 80 hours over harvest and do the night shift over sowing. And that wasn't overtime and it wasn't time in lieu and it wasn't all these other things. You could you could get good people back then 
and pay them the base wage and have them happy in their role and happy to stay with you for five or 10 or 30 years. Growing up at Dalroy, we had two blokes on our farm, one for 36 years and one for 42. And when I reflect on how they were part of our family and they were wonderful men who were very loyal to us, but beyond a very small bonus at harvest and the odd barbecue in the paddock and, and the intimacy that we extended them um, as employers, there wasn't a lot of benefit that we offered them um, relative to perhaps what has to happen today. Would you mind speaking to how it was 30 years ago? Do you agree with that sentiment that back then that's how it was but it's different today? Do you agree with that? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, and, and I hear it every day too. Um, gone, and, and those days have gone, of course, and it's unfortunate, but but we can we can whinge and moan about it as much as we like. We're not going to change the fact that 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 it's, we're in a different different um, different era. So no, I I agree, and and you know people like myself and you potentially Jeremy too that you know did start young and 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 we were good stockmen and we we did as we were told because we wanted to progress and and we had respect and all those sorts of things. It, Jesus, it's bloody rare to find people like that now. The good good stockmen are gone and. And we're seeing, a, a, I mean, that demographic of, of, of stockmen like, like myself and everything, they're all in management positions now. Um, and then you, you go back a little bit with the more modern people and, and they're starting to be a little bit too dictative with their terms because they can be. They're only driven by the market. And, and to have anyone last, and I keep saying, you know, all these employers say, you know, we want people that are going to last. Well, Jesus, there's only one person that's going to help that. Um, exactly. We can't. You can. Um, so it's three years in, in, a, in, a position, in, in a position now, say, for an argument, say, overseer um, or, or junior, senior farmhand, junior farmhand, whatever, is that you want to see them. They want to grow through the industry. Um, and if you think they're going to be a farmhand for the next 15 years, you need to have a you're in la-la land. So if they've got a fire in their belly and they're wanting to grow, you need to allow them to grow. Um, and in three years' time, if you can't accommodate them in your own property, push them out to one of your mates, get a more senior role, and we'll start the process again. Gone are the days of, of staff. 12 months is long now, 12, eight, you know, two years for anyone. And it's it's reflective of the of the, of the current market. These poor buggers are sitting in jobs, um, and I hear this every day too, that, you know, we're content where we are, but mates keep sharing these job ads with me. And I'm then, you know, these are job ads that that I'm that are 30, 40, 50k above what I'm getting where I am, but I don't want to move, but I'm getting more pressure to move. And um okay, well say to them, you need to go back and talk to the employer. If you're happy there, stay there. Um and, and see what else they might be able to do for you. Not in the sense, and I'm not asking employers to, you know, throw a heap of money at these people. Um, it's in the inclusion that they're looking for, um, you know, share of profits, KPIs, um, things like that. Give them a lease paddock out the back. Um, they're not all chasing big bucks. They want to feel included. So, um, no, a completely different market um, than 30 years ago. And I think um, the candidates have changed. The employers are maybe still stuck in that 30-year sort of Period. And that's the that's the point I want to sort of just just emphasise here is that so many people who are managing and owning farms now 
I think a lot of us still have the mindset of how it was when we were young. And I think there has been a, a paradigm shift that our farm owners need to make that you can't, it's different today in how you need to um, employ, recruit, pay, incentivize, and motivate talent in order to keep them today than it was 30 years ago. Um, and you've touched on a few things there that I'd like to expand on. But if, if there is high demand for talent and there is a lack of supply of talent, um, for me, that means that we've got to be more unique ever than, or than we have been on how we stand out as an employer. Um, you know, to your point, why would I drive past 48 driveways to stuck, you know, to drive up at yours and stay with you for the next 10 years? Um, mm. You've got to be different and better as an employer than other employers in your marketplace. So would you agree with that, that, that now more than ever we've got to innovate and be creative in the benefits that we offer our people so that they do stay? Most definitely, most definitely. But also in that same argument is that we're not wanting, you know, we're not, we're not driving this. Um, we're just the reporters of it um, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, shit, you know, you want us to drop the, our, the bar on standards and, and lift the, the, the bar on salary. Um, well, that's not the case um, in most cases. So we're not wanting you to pay ridiculous money to get the, uh, an unsatisfactory employer, employee. And a lot of these employees aren't necessarily going just to get that extra five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a year. They want to feel included. Um, so changing them that with them is there's certain ways that you can do that with with incentives and things like that, and not giving them you know what they don't deserve. Um, and we get it all the time, every day. You know, shit, that wasn't around when I was a young fella. You know, they, they don't have to play with debt. You know, one year, in, we, we're finally having a good year. One year in 10, what do they expect? Like, these guys have got no response, roles and responsibilities and things like that. Again, we're not, it's not us dictating this. It's it's um, it's either move with, the, move with the times or it's going to be a busy harvest period or it's going to be, you're going to be busy. Um, so um, it's... It's yeah. That's and they want inclusion. I mean, we're finding also too that we're getting a lot of good good candidates coming out of the corporate models. Um, that was all flavour of the month five ten years ago. As you know, um, it's not anymore. Um, mm. So they're wanting to be be involved in family operations, which is a good thing. Um, involved and included. Um, you're not. They're not just bloody numbers anymore. They're um, and you know tick and flick. No bloody good. Left the gate open on two occasions. So so I sent him out the driveway. Um, no, educate them. Talk to them. They're people. They um. They're, and unfortunately, they're one of your biggest assets. So um, and you're going to be left high and dry if you if you don't have that mind shift into into righto. Let's talk to these people like people. Yeah, it's absolutely. A mindset shift and it's a really important one um as i say 30 years ago we used to expect people to work 60 and 80 hours and, and only pay them the base wage i actually think it's a good thing that people now get paid for the work that they do in this industry where that wasn't the case back then um sure it costs the business owner a bit more but so it should um 
And I'm happy to name that. I actually think our employees do deserve to be rewarded for their efforts um, appropriately and well above the base rate, especially if they're good, talented candidates who are loyal to you. Um, let's touch on that about how to actually make them feel engaged and involved. Um, what are some of the constructs beyond a base wage that you think can have us create a framework that gives me as a farmer my best chance of keeping talent long-term? What You mentioned KPIs and you mentioned inclusion and you mentioned incentives and you touched on profit share and, you know, you touched on leasing, giving them a little lease block out the back. Um, what are some of the things that you see that we could be calling on to include and keep people um, engaged in our business? Well, it, it just simply comes down to being included. They, 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 um, we're not seeing a massive shift, you know, from a farm man, or farm manager job or farm overseer job here to one, you know, two hundred k's down the road. Um, this one's got five k more than what this person's getting. They're not going to jump ship for that. Um, on they, but they they could jump ship for for five or ten k less. If that person that they that they're talking to is well regarded in the industry, is 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 known to look after their staff and include them, um, so they're not. It's not all about money. It's it's about including these people and and progressing them. You know, starting them out. Um, I never had the opportunity. Unfortunately, my parents don't have a heap of you know big blocks of dirt they're going to leave to me. If if I was going to do it, I would have had to have done it myself and, and found out quite early on that there's no bloody way. You could borrow money to, to start your own farm, let alone stop it. So talk to them about, you know, potentially leasing blocks of dirt off them or, or, or profit share. I mean, um, put them on a retainer um, but and they'll be re re um, rewarded if that crop does perform well, um, if, if, those, if those lambs do go out the gate a little bit heavier than last year. Um, things like that is that gives them ownership of what they're doing. Um, a lot of a lot of our clients are very very tight with with that information, and I used to always, even with my employees throughout my career, let them know what was going on and, and why we can't do that. No one wants to hear, no, we can't bloody do that. It's too expensive. We can't do this. Can't do that. Involve them. Let them know why we can't do it, um, and involve and, and involve them in that. Um, you know, not giving them access to bank accounts or anything, but involve them in the budgetary budgeting um, of these problems, even the young fellows, the young people, um, um, is they just want to feel included. That's what it comes down to. They're sick to death and they're going to do their research. And, and if unfortunately anyone that's, you know, tarred with that brush of being a revolving door for staff and a bit hard to work for, they're going to find that out prior to going to have an interview with you and, and, and they, they're not going to want to progress any further. So start with culture is a buzzword at the moment. Um, Look after them, and that'll pay dividends. Um, um, certainly, they look after the idiots because no one will do that. Um, but you got to promote these passionate ones because there are not many of them. Mm. Yeah, so it raises the question for me: How good are you as an employer? Um, I think a lot of us run good farms and we're good technical operators. But if we look at our track record in employment, um, that tells us a story. And so if you had to be brutally honest with how well you've um, navigated HR management and people leadership over your last five or 10 years, what do you give yourself out of 10? 
Um, and if you haven't got systems and structures around this that, that do include your people, um, that's probably something to look at if staff aren't hanging around with you. And to your point before, John, if, if someone that forgets to shut the gate twice and you spear them, um, perhaps that's part of the problem. You know, there's so much we can do to build people up and to help them improve. And I think often I see in, in farm management that we, when, when our employees make mistakes, we towel them up. And um, what we coach at farm owners is that mistakes are an opportunity to teach and an opportunity to see people improve. So if the young fella's not shutting the gate or doesn't do it twice in a row, um, how you respond in that moment determines your ability to retain people long term. Um, I could go down that rabbit hole, John. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about, about just being with people where they are and building them up from where they are rather than making them wrong where they are. Um, it's so easy to make people and our employees wrong and that might make you as the employer feel good for about two minutes, um, but it's not the way in which to keep good talent. Do you have any comments around that, John? That's me on a rant, but I'm keen for any uh, any feedback you have on that. No, it, it, it's pretty spot on. It's um, It doesn't come down to these guys dictating, you know, they want 100K for a farmhand job or anything like that. There are people out there that will, but they don't want anything else apart from being included in the business, being included, having their, their ideas heard. Um, um, Involvement. It's it's as simple as that. It's um, I mean the old saying, and I, and I, I used to manage for a, a very well known bloke in the cattle industry years and years ago, and he used to always say, "I'll pay you so much that that um, that you could go and buy your own farm, but treat you good enough that you won't you won't want to." Um, and he did. Um, but it got to a point where um, I just said, "No more money. Like I, I just want to be here," and and I was, and I did. So. Um, can, you just, can you just say that again? I'll pay you enough that you could. I'll pay you enough. That's what he said to me. I, I, I want to pay you enough that you could go out and buy your own property, um, but I want to treat you good enough that that you won't want to. Um, oh, wow. And that that oh, shit. I was twenty four when I was in a management role when that happened, and um, um, I still remember it to this day. Um, so that that's. That's where they are. It's not. It's not rocket science. It, 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 you can't go on to the days of tick and flick. Um, I'm sick of hearing problems about these employers. Although you know it hasn't got much to do with us, but little niggles. How did you handle that? Oh, I bloody haven't spoken to about. Why? Mm. Oh, no bloody point. It's useless. Come on. <laughs> it's your duty to make, turn them into an asset for your business. Um, fair enough if they're lazy buggers or, or, or doing something wrong. Yeah, flick them. Um, but we don't put many of them into roles. They're, they're, a lot of these people are blank canvases in these in, entry-level positions and, 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 and it's up to you to mould them into your business. Um, yes, unfortunately, within three years, after all your hard work, they're potentially going to go. Um, they'll only go if you're not going to, you know, um, Attract, attract them to stay or, or let them climb the ladder. It's a what's, what's, what's that saying, John? Better you train them and they go than you don't and they stay. Dead right. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So Greg Johnson's one of the directors of Farm Owners and he has a mantra that I love, that you pay them enough to take money off the table. And I think that's exactly that point you made. He comes out of the vet sector and he's, he's an entrepreneur, but he's had a very successful vet practice. And be it in vet or accounting or in law or in any other professional firm or industry out there, the conversation is, well, you know, how much have you been on? And if they say 120 grand, well, then the head of the accounting firm says, well, our rule is that we need you to bill four times your salary. So if you want to be earned 100, earn 120 grand with us, you need to bill 480. So are yep. you good for that to be your target? And they'll say yes, and then that's their KPI and they're a way to get it. And so what I think we get wrong in our industry is we think about our employees as an expense to the business mm. and that they're costing me money. I would love to challenge that, that every expense you have in your business, urea, fertiliser, drench, whatever, wages in particular, it's an investment. And we've got to look at every dollar we put into our people and look at our return on investment. And, and linked to that, I think, is the fact that our people are our greatest asset in the business that we have that sits on top of our farm. And they are, or they can be, a major leverage point. So if I'm going to pay this overseer or this farmhand 60 grand, how much time does that buy back for me that I can go and focus on higher value activity? And how much can I then create for me and for our family if I've got Billy um, in that overseer's role and I'm paying him 70 grand instead of 60? How much value can I place on the leverage that I get from him? And then also, what's the return that I'm getting from Billy for that 60 or 70 grand that I'm paying him. We've got to start thinking about these people as wonderful forms of leverage and, and getting that return on investment, not just treating them like a cost in our business. Because to your point, if we think about them as a cost, we're never going to respect, appreciate and keep them long term. No, no, you're dead right. It, it's um, it's it's a hard gig to do um, without staff, and and then that's where a lot of these businesses are potentially heading. Is if they're not willing to change, um, you, it we're seeing it all the time with with you know in businesses that that have been renowned to, to you know be revolving doors for staff for whatever reason. Um, that could be is they they're potentially not going to have any staff, and that's the most frightening thing and. Um, uh, and you look at models where that have built, I mean, horticultural, especially where they, we don't do much in hort, but um, that have built their their business around transient workflow, workforce. They're not there this year. They're not there this year either, um, and they ship themselves. Um, step back a bit, um, and, and that's my argument with this upcoming harvest. I, mean, I would have been thinking about this in January this year, not now, not um, the four people that have got emails from this morning saying we want someone tomorrow. Um, it's it, and the most important thing is too, as you say, Jeremy, it, it's a business. It's take that personal attachment away from it. It's not they're not coming in to take what Dad's given you or, or this family thing from you. 
they're actually there to assist you to move up that to to expand. I mean, I can have hundreds of clients say, "Shit, if we found the right person, we'd go and buy another block." Um, we can't find them. Why can't you find them? After fifteen minutes of conversation, that's why you can't bloody find them, mm. or, or more specifically, retain them, yeah. um, because you're not giving them ownership. You're not. You're not. You're not. You know, treating them as family as such, and that's why I suppose a good point to touch on, Jeremy. This ag ag recruitment is a lot harder than you know any other sort of recruitment because we also put a lot of weight on trying to find the right personality because these guys are not turned up on the office in the office on Monday morning and heading off on Friday out road. They're living on the same properties, which makes it a, a challenge too. So we put a lot of weight into you know, and I've always been a very big believer that I'd rather put on a, a person with the with less skills and the right attitude as, as, as opposed to the other way around. And, and just trying to get farmers to, to, to do that too um, is, is a bit of a challenge. Mm. So just two points I'd love to make here. If you think about it outside of the industry, if you're a plumber and you treat people like crap and you don't um, have an appetite to build a high-performing team, you stay the man in the van, mm. you know, and you're on the tools forever and you don't actually build anything of value long term and you might retire, you know, 30 or 40 years later as the man in the van um, having worked tirelessly just to make ends meet. Um, our definition of a successful farm business is one that is systemised and structured and resourced so that it can work without you. And a key part of that is being willing to treat people well and build out a high-performing team that can run your farm so that you don't have to. So this people management piece is critical if you want to build out that plumbing company that can work without you or that farm business that can work without you. And to your point before, John, I think it starts with a mindset shift. It starts with a letting go of how it was when I was young and that's how it should be. The game's changed. There is an absolute shortage. And so you've got to be completely unique and different and better as a people manager and a farm business leader um, so that you can um, attract and retain a high-performing team and talent that wants to work for you long-term. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's it's... I don't believe it's a hard thing. I mean, we hear about it all the time, and, and again, uh, that demographic of, of the, the the baby booms, I suppose, now that are, that are in, in in the hot seat with a lot of big operations, and not letting go of the reins, and that's a big thing that I talk about quite um, quite often is hand the bloody things over. Um, but people are reluctant to do that, and then you see, I hear it, you know, time and time out every week that that these these baby boomers that age, that age demographic that are you know, um, wife's just bloody left me. Um, I won't, I, I can't find those people that are going to do it my way. They might be doing it a different way. It doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. Um, and mm. you've got to, again, another mind shift. No one's going to do it as good as you. Um, I go through that with my business and my staff. And, but you've got to, again, that mind shift to say, well, at least it's, as long as it's getting bloody done, um, it doesn't matter how they, how they do it. If they want to draft sheep and weigh them this way, um, you know, their bloody things don't run that way. Well, okay, let them work that out themselves. Let them let them do what they want to do as long as the job's getting done and they're doing it correctly. 
So that's well, there's, 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 there's an additional comment I'd like to make here is that if, if they come in and they do it the wrong way, um, again, that's back on me, isn't it, as the business owner? Like this, the other thing that's missing in that puzzle is that maybe I haven't set a standard or created a process or a system and trained them around that so that they do do it my way. Mm. You know, you're responsible for sewing this year, mate. Here's our rules. Here's the standard. Here's what we expect. Let's go through this start to finish. And then you hand over the keys. And then you're there to support them to follow the system so that they do do it your way. If you just throw them the keys without a system, absolutely they're not going to do it your way because you haven't shown them what that is. No, dead right. And, and communication, communication. And, and unfortunately in, 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 in farming, we're all bad bad at it. Um, it's dealing with this, this younger generation too who, are, who, who need quite a bit of it. Um, it's, it's, it's one extreme to the other. You get these older fellows that don't want to talk. Um, they'll just watch you and ping you when you do do something wrong. It's it's all comes down to education and communication and treating them, you know, it's treating your business, your farm as a business um, and your staff as, as one of the main assets to that. It's um it's it's quite simple, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess some of the things that we recommend and that clients of ours coming through our three-year program are implementing with real effect so that they are building out that team and, and having them feel included. It starts with defining the core values of your company um, and setting down a clear vision so that people that arrive to you can understand your standards and your values and understand what the long-term goal is and be enrolled by those things. And then it's things like, to your point, including them in the budgeting meeting, um, including them in the annual planning meeting, the meetings with the agronomists um, and the livestock experts and the agents. Um, we recommend two days off-farm planning each year to set down the framework for the year ahead. We recommend quarterly review and quarterly planning meetings and creating quarterly plans and including your team in those, we recommend monthly and weekly meetings and even daily huddles so that where communication might not be a natural thing for you as the manager, if you create that rhythm and that framework for management and for communication, then it tends to work itself out so that, you know, the, the communication opportunity and the communication channels do open up. And so for me, that's the sort of structure, John, that we think that best practice farms and the high-performing farms do have in play. It is best practice outside our industry in building and in accounting and in physio and in vets and in all these other sectors, yours and mine included, that the daily meetings, weekly meetings, quarterly planning meetings, you know, these practices do bring teams together, do help teams feel included and aligned and involved and and they are the sort of disciplines that I think do help make the businesses on farm operate more effectively. Would you have a comment around those practices as a way in which to include? 
the team? No, I think you hit on the head with all, all those things. And, and, and I was guilty as charged even 10 years ago, you know, um, communicate. We say g'day every now and then. Um, might have a yarn on a Monday morning to see what's going on. But it, it's it's been a big learning curve for me in the last 10 years is that um, these people want to be, they want to be, again, included. They want to, you've got to talk to them, um, you know, Bring yourself down to their level and maybe ask them what they did on the weekend. Um, be interested in what they are, what, who they are too. Um, I, yeah, I suppose that that's it. It's um, they're not wanting, like I keep saying, they're not they're not chasing. And a lot of the perception out there from a lot of our clients is or new inquiries is, you know, again, like I said, they all want too much bloody money and and they've got no, there's no risk in what they've got. To, they're doing well again that's that's a mindset said that they're staff are a swear word um to them and mm. unfortunately they're going to be left out in the dry and high and dry in the next few years with that attitude so i i suppose you, you hit it on the head jeremy there's and i've said it before it, it's it's not rocket science it's um they're not expecting the world they just want to be included um yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So on the other, I think career conversations are important as well where you do sit down and understand what is, what is it that are their aspirations and what is it that they're hoping to achieve for themselves and for their family long term. And then it can be really important that they see you make efforts to make that happen for them as part of their employment with you. Again, normal, common practice, career conversations, twice yearly or yearly off farm. I think it's really important that we we add that into the mix of um, including our people that they do feel like you understand where they're trying to go, and that you do adapt your how you arrive to them so they feel like you're doing your bit to make that happen. There's some amazing examples of that in our community um, where our members are helping people buy their first house or they are helping them lease that block out the back so they've or they've got an active involvement in the livestock enterprise. There's some amazing examples that I won't go into, but it's really important too that you understand what our what your employees aspire for in their careers. And then you know, you go out of your way to try and make that happen for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And communication, ask them. And I, I say this to a lot of our young young people, more, more so the young people, um, you know, after two or three weeks of being there, go to, the, go to the, the, the director, the owner, whoever it is, and just ask them, how am I going? Because they won't tell you. Um, and that's sad. Whereas, and then I also say to the clients too, go and ask them how they're going. Are they fitting in? Anything we can do for you? Um, we get so many young people, you know, again, talk, referring to young people, um, ringing us saying we've moved all the way up to bloody northern New South Wales and, and we're bored. We, there's no community here. Um, and I do have some really good clients of ours that, that ring up and ask for advice of what can we do to, to attract or retain people. Is Unfortunately, you ought to do something. You know, hire the local footy club room out and put a bloody dance on or whatever they want to do or, or just, you know, play some bingo, get them involved in the community. Um, um, again, inclusion. It's, it's um, 
Not letting it's a great point. Great point. Letting them walk back to their to their donger at, at half past six of a night after knockoff. When when you go back to your family and young Joe Blow's walking back to his, you know, Paddy's bloody dog for the next four hours because that's all he's got to do. And he, you expect him to be there seven days a week. Ask him, how's he going? Is he fitting in? Do you want us to ring a few of the neighbour young fellow blokes and get them over here and introduce you? No one does it, very rarely. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are, and there are some really good examples, I think, of communities that um, are coming together to create those sorts of um, parties or community hall events or pub nights or lawn bowls days or whatever that, that are all aimed at collaboratively resolving this problem of, of making their environment more appealing for that next generation of employment. Um, so, yeah, it's a great point. Maybe you as, um, if this is a challenge for you, maybe you could lead that charge in your community of making your community a better place to be um, so that collectively you have that chance of bringing talent back into your area. You know, the other thing I think about, John, I wanted to ask you this is um, I might be sitting there thinking that it's hard for me to get good talent and that it's just not out there. Um, yet there are plenty of farms in my region that don't have that issue. You know, in every region there are high-quality farms that don't have any problem finding good people. So we can have the mindset that there's just this massive shortage and they're not out there, yet the best farms out there don't have this problem necessarily. So what's the difference between those farms in a region that can find good talent and don't seem to have this problem and, and those that do? Yeah, it comes down to culture and exactly what we've been discussing, I suppose, is that, and we find that too, that... Um, Look, in a perfect world, I could shut the doors on Grove Rag um, and then finally go bloody fishing when we came down here for, so I could do. Because if you build that that um, um, that that staff culture, it's going to grow and, and their community, those your staff are going to promote that so so quickly. And we, we, we noticed that with a lot of our northern clients in the pastoral industry, that there's nothing better than having two or three workers recruiting. For that business and want mm. to recruit to bring people in and there's some fantastic businesses out there that that there, there is still people that have still got a lineup of applicants wanting to get in there so it's not as if the, the applicants aren't out there you've just got to attract them um, yeah. so and that again it comes down to inclusion that that being part of the team these staff you've, you've they, a lot of those businesses have, have developed their staff to be a very key part of their business and be involved in that business. And, and that, yeah, they get your staff to do recruiting for you. Well, I suppose ask, ask yourself this question, I suppose is a fair one. If, if you've got a staff member with you now and you ask them to um, go and find another, another employee for the business, would they be willing to do it? What would they say to them, to these candidates um, about how you treat them and things like that? So. Yeah, we, we see it all the time, and they're beautiful businesses. And, and if there was more of them, well, like I said, there wouldn't be the need of people like us. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I've seen some people who have found it hard to attract and keep good people actually go and speak to these guys who don't have this issue 
and ask them, how do you how did you get that done? And it can be a process. It requires good strategy. And then it can take time to build out that high-performing, long-term, stable team. But why not go and ask the people who have sorted this problem out and find out how they're doing it? And I'm willing to wager that they do have in place some of the things that John and I are talking about and that we've suggested, um, at least a combination thereof. So the other thing that I see outside of agriculture, John, that I just wanted to touch on that I think has a real place in our industry is as farmers with one or two employees or a family business, um, we've got a small team. Often we think, to your point before, that there's no real progression for Billy the jackaroo or for um, Johnny the overseer or his wife or the, the family to progress in our farm. Um, I think about this analogy. My nine-year-old daughter's doing Taekwondo and she got her first belt the other day. Her first question when she got home, obviously, is, well, what's the next belt? Mm-hmm. She just wants a ladder to climb and karate and Taekwondo is successful because of the ladders. Everyone is aspiring to black belt, right? In an accounting firm, KPMG and Deloitte and these highly successful global firms are all built around their career ladder mm-hmm. so that a graduate comes in and they know when they start as a graduate in that business that if they hang around for 12 months and they hit these KPIs, they become a junior analyst and then they become an analyst and then they become an accountant and then they become a senior accountant and they get to manage accountants and they become a director of a department and they become an executive director and then they might even become a shareholder. So well, I want to make the point that those accounting firms didn't get big and then put in their career ladder. It's on the back of that career ladder and giving junior people certainty about how they can progress in the company that they became global companies. And so um, everyone just wants a ladder to climb, I guess is the point that I'm making. And if you don't have a ladder to climb in your company, your people are going to go and find another ladder to climb. And so... So I just want to make that point that I think, and you touched on this, that that having a pathway for your jackaroo to follow so that they can progress, that after 12 months, if they hit these targets, then they'll get to go to here. And if they hang around for two years and hit those targets and successfully run the cropping enterprise, then you know there will be an opportunity for a, a bonus or a profit share or whatever it is. Um, do you see those good businesses in our industry having a documented career path? So, you know, white belt to black belt and how they how, how their staff can progress? Definitely. And 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 they're the ones that 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 say regularly, you know, if they're if they're here in that same role, whether Jack Roo, overseer, senior stocky, whatever, and even in management management roles too, we're finding that if they're here and, and just wanting to plod, um, we're going to push them away within two or three years into something else because we want those those people to come in and, and have that fire in their guts and grow and learn. So um, those good those businesses understand that um, you know you're not going to have your farm hand for ten years anymore. Um, within two years, if they're not wanting to progress themselves with a bit of guidance into into a senior part of hand, well, they're not the right fit, and we'll push them, we'll give them a good reviewing and push them away. Um, 
so but they they do have that understanding that that um that you know we're not going to have a farmhand for 10 years and and like i said before even in management roles where um succession planning and stuff can have a detrimental effect with these managers are also worried about sons and daughters potentially coming back or what's going to happen because they're not involved in in, in the decision making not the decision making but an overall goal or plan of what's happening in two three four five years because some of these managers want to grow and and they're, they're capable enough to allow that business to grow um but they keep getting pull, pulled back um you know they'll get to a stage where the, the principal the director pushes them away because he sees a threat um instead of grabbing that and and letting it grow the business so it, it's yeah we see it across you know entry-level jobs and more senior jobs too such an any compelling point i mean a lot of the things we're talking about do you think they apply equally for the younger generation coming home and coming through as it does for the employed younger generation coming through? Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's why we're seeing a, a marked decrease in, in kids wanting to come home, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, it, it's all it's all relevant, whether you're the, you're the, the son or the daughter or, or an employee. Um, they're an active member of the business and, and should be treated so. I believe. Yeah. So, John, just in finishing up, um, I've really appreciated the opportunity to sort of to, to speak about this. I think there has been and there is this problem in the industry about how well we're treating our people and the structures that we're putting into our businesses in order to, to attract and then retain good talent. I think you're right. There is a problem in the industry, certainly at the moment, um, where the demand for talent is exceeding supply. But again, I think that requires us to be more creative and more innovative than perhaps we have been around how we stand out as an employer and, and how we treat our people. So I really appreciate your comments on this um, and your insights. And I get that you're at the front end, on the front line of this really, um, as a recruiter that that you're seeing this and having to deal with this every day. Um, so thanks for your support to our members um, and thanks for your time today. It's been great to, to touch on some of these key points with you. Yeah, no problem. No, my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I, um, I suppose just in closing, I don't want us to be seen as, as supportive of these employees at any, you know, I, we, we, we represent our clients just as well as our as our candidates, and um, it's not a it's not a money grab. It's not you know you've got to give them this, or otherwise we won't get staff. It, it's more like I said, a mind shift that we that we're struggling with all the time with these businesses. So um, yeah, it's and also don't rely on on government. There's a lot of talk around this agricultural visa um, that they. I mean, the bloody nationals spoke about that seven or eight years ago, and nothing happened, and. They think this one might be um, ready to go in, in, in December, which will be fantastic because that puts people in country by February when they're dusting off the bloody headers. So don't rely on that and don't use that as an excuse, you know, we need support, we need this. It's, um, it's easily done to, to attract and retain staff. Um, it, it's, um, don't rely on these other buggers, yeah. Yeah, take responsibility for it. Um, if the business you have now is getting you the results that you're getting, then, you know, there's something that needs to change in order to find better people and, um, 
and keep them long term. So I hope some of the the constructs that that John and I have spoken about today um, can give you some motivation and some direction on where you might start to improve the business and your HR practices so that you um, can build that high-performing team long-term. John, great to connect. Great to see you. Thanks for your time and um, speak to you again soon. No problem. Thank you, Jeremy. So great to connect with John about what is, I think, one of our greatest challenges in farm business ownership is the people management piece. Um, You know, and I reflect on it too, that some of us are running amazing farms and we're great technical farmers, but nowhere have we learned how to manage people. And it is such a important piece. And, you know, ultimately it's not hard. Just treat people as equal and treat people well, whether they're employees or not, and become a unique employer somehow. I think deeply that um, we grow commodities and in that it's hard to differentiate ourselves because ultimately we're just taking our stock or our grain or our produce to market and to a large degree getting the price of the day. We're commodity producers. But for me, that means that it's hard to set yourself apart as a producer. Where we need to be setting ourselves apart and making ourselves unique is how good we are as employers. That's the thing that determines the value of the brand on your front gate or my front gate. It's how good we are as employers. And I actually encourage people to have at least five really clear, really strong bullet points that are the things that make you unique as an employer. What's your value proposition that makes you different and better than the other 100 farms in your region as an employer? You know, we've got to think laterally around this and we've got to be unique. So it starts with we treat our people like they're our family and we give them good facilities and we look after them and we include them in our meetings and in our planning so that they understand the bigger picture. It starts with those things. And then it's about, well, they work their tail off with us and we respect them for that. So we're the farm that gives them five weeks instead of four weeks holidays. Or we're the farm that if after three years they're performing in their role, we give them a percentage of the harvest proceeds or a profit share in the livestock enterprise. The third bullet point might be that our Christmas parties are legendary or our shearing cutout. You know, we we do something ridiculously special. But we've got to do things in our business that make us unique as employers. It is so important. 
I remember interviewing Nuffield scholar Andrew Fowler um, not long ago and their harvest cutout with their jackaroos and jillaroos from all around the world is on the beach at Esperance and it lasts a few days and it's legendary. And, you know, people come back year on, year out for their harvest from overseas because of the culture they've created as they've moved from 3,000 hectares to 30,000 hectares under management over the last 15 years in southern WA. But their harvest cutouts are legendary. You know, sporting teams with great culture just do things differently and better than other sporting teams, and it's the same in business. And so, you know, the things that we talk about is, is... having those five bullet points that make you unique and then including them in the daily, the weekly, the monthly, the quarterly, the annual planning meetings, having career conversations, having incentive schemes so that they can participate beyond their base wage or their wage in the success of the company, treating them like your treating your wage that you pay them as an investment in them and an investment in the business that you need to get a return from. Don't treat them like an expense. And speaking with John just after this interview, he made a comment that if you've got a revolving door, then the problem is you. You know, if you find it hard to attract and keep good people, then the reality is that that problem is yours. And maybe what we need to do is look in the mirror and look at how good we are as employers. One of my mentors, Brad Sugars, once said, and it's a hard fact to hear, that you get the people you deserve. And it's true in agriculture. We get the people that we deserve. And so if we're not getting the people we want, even in this time where there might be some construct around a shortage, then we've got to adapt, we've got to innovate, we've got to create, we've got to do things strategically and laterally so that we can get good people and keep them long-term. So I hope this conversation with John from Driver Ag has been valuable for you. Some of it can be tough to hear, but I hope it inspires some of you out there just to check your mindset towards your people and to go about thinking and implementing on improvements to your business that can support a more included, a more engaged and a high-performing on-farm team long-term. Thanks for your time, guys. Appreciate you listening. Speak again soon.